The cream of the crop. Who the f is that guy? I'm better than you. And you know it. This is The Law, live audio wrestling, with the latest news, info, and interviews from the world of pro wrestling, mixed martial arts, and the best of combat sports worldwide. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Tidwell and Brady Weta. You know, it seems like every year when I hear that song, it can only mean one thing, that it is Christmas time. And this is The Law Live Audio Wrestling, and I am one half of your host, Chris Tidwell. These are all perfect explanations as to why my co-host, Brayden Wedham, is sitting there patiently waiting like Santa's little elf to give us all of the good details this year, Christmas time, one more episode. Brady, how you doing? I have my aluminum pole shined up. I've been doing push-ups all week, getting ready for the feats of strength. Sir, I am ready for Festivus. Oh, Festivus. I mean, come on. How can we How can we forget our fine folks that celebrate Festivus? Our sponsors didn't think, you know, forget them. That's for damn sure. Well, I've got my gifts wrapped up. I've got my boots tied tight, and I hope that I don't get in a fight. It is the holiday season after all. Uh, shouts out to the lawful listeners. We're back with another quick. It's quick this week. We're not taking that whole two-hour time slot. We're going to do this as quick as we possibly can. We're going to let you spend time with your family because we know you love them so. And it's much better that you spend time with them than us. Let's face the facts. Yes. (laughs) So can we do a rundown of what's going on this week? Absolutely. So we are going to, yeah, we are going to talk a very, very little bit about uh, the boxing that took place on the weekend here. Uh, We're talking about heavyweights, heavyweights in Dubai. Again, to finish off the year, Anthony Joshua uh, 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 and and Deontay Wilder, not fighting each other, but fighting on the main card. We're going to run that down real quick because it didn't last all that long. We're going to talk about the um, what was your favorite feud or your favorite storyline of the year, 2023. We are also going to then cut it short because we're going to go to an interview with a man that I've known for a lot of years. I mean, since the beginning, some of you may or may not be familiar with his name, but every one of you is familiar with his product. I'm talking about the owner of Fightful.com. I'm talking about one Jimmy Van, uh, published author and uh, entrepreneur. An all-around really, really cool guy. So we're going to sit down. I had a chance to sit down with him for, boy, well over an hour and reminisce. And uh, it's 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 good to catch up. So we're going to fill you in with that one a little bit later on. Right? Sounds like a solid show if you ask me. So how about we throw to the sponsors? How about we let them get their two cents in real quick? When we come back, we're going to make this quick. We're going to make this simple. This is the Law Live Audio Wrestling. I'm Chris Tidwell. That's Brady Wedham. Sit right there.
Are you in the market for a used vehicle for your family or business? North Toronto Auction hosts public auctions twice a month and everyone's invited. Hundreds of cars, trucks, SUVs, commercial vehicles and heavy equipment are available. Plus travel trailers, motorcycles, snowmobiles, ATVs and more. View the entire selection at NorthTorontoAuction.com. Bid online or bid in person. Bid on items from government agencies, financial companies, fleet managers, car dealers, and public insiders. For more information, visit us online at NorthTorontoAuction.com. And we are back on The Law, live audio wrestling and Chris, we had quite a boxing event this weekend. We've seen a lot of heavyweights. We've seen a lot of knockouts. Uh, do you want to fill us in on what the heck is going on in Dubai? All of the boxing. Boxing is going to very quickly become uh, the thing that Dubai is known for, especially, you know, the way that the Las Vegas was known as being the fight capital of the world. It may very well still be, but it is not going to be the heavyweight boxing or the big fight boxing capital of the world. I think that you're going to see Dubai as the new home. And when you look at it, every time you watch one of the fights, I don't know if you notice this or not, it has this feel to it when they're like, ah, in between fights and they do that shot of the outside of the arena and you see the big, you know, the big lake in behind them and you see the big, uh, the big sphere that they've got there and the roller coasters and all of this stuff. And you're like, it has a very Las Vegas feel to it. Like the look of it, like it's this bigger than life, 24 hour party. It's unbelievable. It helps when you have things like his excellency sitting beside Ronaldo and uh, Conor McGregor ringside uh, throughout the event. It does make it feel very big fight. That's a little show offy. If you ask me, you know, <laughs> Oh, well, look who, look who I know. Oh yeah. You know what? Invite in, invite like Tom from accounting. You know what I mean? To sit in those seats with Ronaldo. Guaranteed his excellency had Tom from accounting there. And shouts out to that man for putting on another amazing boxing event. I had a smile on my face from 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time when the prelims started right to the end at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Chris, let's do a quick rundown of the card. Uh sure. we can't talk about everything because we don't have that much time. But you no. want what's your highlights of the event? Well, I would say, you know, out, out the gate, highlights and lowlights. Um, you got to talk about the three last fights of the of the, of the night. And Dimitri Bivol proved exactly why he is who he is. A guy who just sticks that fist right in your opponent's face and do, you, like you can't do anything. It it's no doubt it's no doubt why he beat Canelo. I mean, and I mean, you know, he looks fantastic. Unbelievable. He's he is the jab expert when it comes to boxing right now. Like, uh, I don't think there's anybody else out there that throws a jab like this man. Yeah. So if I'm talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly, that's what those last three matches were. Uh, the last three fights of this card. The good being Bivol coming out there and proving exactly what he was. The bad, in my opinion, the bad was um Anthony Joshua's opponent. Miller did not get up off of the stool after the fifth, I believe it was. It wasn't like he was getting bloodied, battered, and bruised. He was just getting beat. And that is not a good look. That's a very bad look. It's a good look for Anthony Joshua, you know, but when, I mean, come on, let's face facts. We kind of all expected it. It's not a good look for, for Miller. 
That's for damn sure. And the ugly, the ugly was Deontay Wilder's performance tonight. And I, I hate saying that because, because Parker looked good. Parker looked aggressive. But that's not why people came there to see it. People wanted to see a fight, and I don't think that Deontay Wilder gave him that. Trying to go the distance, once you can get out of the first four rounds with Deontay Wilder, seems to be the thing. Well, two years off and 20 pounds lighter, Deontay Wilder definitely came out a lot different than his last few fights with Tyson. There's no doubt about it. So this is what I'm going to suggest going into the new year for boxing, for heavyweight fights. Yes, we know that Anthony Joshua, what his next fight should be. It should be the winner of Tyson Fury and um, and uh, Alexander Usyk. It should oh. be the winner of that fight. I thought you were going to say Freddie Mercury. I wish. Uh, but what do you do with Deontay Wilder? Is he done in the business? Absolutely not. I think the fight to make, and everybody's already clamoring for it, online and over the internet is you make that fight with Francis Ngannou. You give Francis Ngannou a shot at this. I think that I think that if anything, Deontay Wilder proved tonight that he's got one hell of a chin on him and he would need that against a guy like Francis Ngannou who's still very very unorthodox. But if you're talking about those big money fights, I think that's the fight that you have to make with these guys because everybody else, everybody else seems to be tied up. Can I make a pretty outrageous prediction? I wish you would right now, right here in front of me. <laughs> Wilder was to fight the exact same fight that he did against Parker going in against Nagano. He slept within two rounds. Absolutely. Absolutely. Deontay Wilder at, at certain points after like the sixth round or whatever, looked like he was trying to fend off somebody who just wanted to bully him. And it wasn't even like he was fending him off with with body movement or head movement. It was arms straight out, like, get away from me. You can have my lunch money. It wasn't a good look for Deontay. There's no doubt about that. Um, so a lot of people are going to sit there and say that, like, he's washed up. He's spent. He's over. It's done with. I don't believe that. I think that he can bounce back. Here's the thing you have to remember is that it's the heavyweight division. And anybody at any given time in the heavyweight division gets popped and they can be completely out of their game. Yeah, I don't think it matters. I know that the commentators were saying that, you know, he has reached 38 years old and maybe he's just slowing down. I don't think that matters in, in heavyweight boxing because no, it does not. It doesn't. No. And I think that Deontay Wilder still has a lot of fight in him. I think there's still a lot of money to be made, but after this, and after his last fight, I think that the fight to make where you're going to make some money has got to be with somebody outside of the immediate picture. And when you're talking outside of the immediate picture, in my opinion, I think that you're talking about the only guy who's going to be able to bring in those kind of eyeballs is Francis Ngannou, especially in the heavyweight division. It's a no-brainer. I agree. There you go. Now, moving from boxing over to the world of professional wrestling, you asked a question earlier on. Of yeah. What... what is your favorite feud or storyline of the year? What's been yours? Can I take a minute while you answer the question? Absolutely. So for me, I mean, it was kind of a toss up because when you think about, when you think about like biggest storylines and, and, and what you got to go back 12 months and, and, and to a wrestlers, to a wrestling fans brain, that may be nothing, but to an actual wrestler, whoo wee, I've taken a few chair shots. So, um, that's a long time to remember back sometimes, but if you think about one of the, some of the biggest storylines that there have been, you got to think about Cody Rhodes coming back over, right? You've got to think about the bloodline and the split up 
uh, of that one with with Sammy and the whole split up of the bloodline. You've got to think about, you know, MJF. You've got to think about the devil thing because it's taken a couple of reincarnations, so to speak, over in AEW. Uh, for me, for me, I think the the best storyline that they had going in professional wrestling probably came from WWE and I would have to go with the bloodline storyline, which is still a, a fantastic storyline because I don't think it's, it's played out yet, but the way that they had everybody absolutely hooked every single week has been fantastic. And it's something that you haven't seen in professional wrestling in a very long time. Right. And the fact that there's, there, there was, it was such a good storyline that there were so many outliers from it. Like Kevin Owens was in and out from the beginning because of the whole Sammy connection and the whole family connection and the way that they played it out, I thought, in my opinion, was probably the most memorable uh, and most um, over storyline in all of professional wrestling in the year 2023. Does that give you a lot, enough time, Brady? You think you can come up with something now? Well, I actually agree when it comes to in terms of storyline. I think you can't get any better than that. I think WWE is at its peak when it comes to storytelling, when you're looking at something like the bloodline and all of the drama that's gone back and forth throughout that group. I'm going to take a different turn on this, though. We never really said we said feud or storyline. Now, no, we didn't really say like written or it had to be in WWE or it had to be in AEW. My favorite storyline this year has been the internet wrestling fans against the business itself. Explain to me. I think it's it's finally imploding. I think finally, saying, finally, finally, finally. After years, maybe probably getting close to thirty years now, we have had an internet wrestling community. That has felt like they are better at writing, they are better at booking, and they are better at telling stories than a major company or numerous major companies. They've always I, felt that way. They have. And now, I think we're getting to the point where fans are starting to take a step back. Where they're like, you know what? Maybe I don't know everything i.e. CM Punk showing up to Survivor Series and literally squashing whatever heat he had within three weeks. Mm -hmm. um, I think things like some of the dirt sheets getting, you know, attacked the way that they have been, uh, some of the news and rumor sites that have been getting attacked the way that they have been for either uh, info that's been manipulated or it's been done for clicks or whatever it is. I, I think this is imploding. I like to see where it's going to go in, in 2024. I hope I'm not eating crow and putting my foot in my mouth. But I do think that that has been the most interesting thing. You've seen Vince McMahon get attacked by these people you because of the scandals going on, and rightfully so. You've seen the merger between UFC and WWE through Endeavor and TKO, and you've heard everyone's opinions on that, and they thought they were all experts there when reality none of us knew what was going on so i think that it i think the biggest storyline this year that i've enjoyed so much and maybe it's because i you know i've owned a network and i'm involved with this so deep but seeing the fans kind of take a step back and say i'd rather be a fan than an expert has been my favorite storyline now that was long-winded but that's my favorite storyline well, you know, it's kind of funny and it's a great segue if you think about it, because if you're talking about the the heat that the um, 
that the fandom that the fanboys and the sites that are out there have taken, it's because it's because, in my opinion, since day one, as soon as the internet got out there, there's always been that discussion. Does wrestling need the internet or does the internet need wrestling? It's a chicken and an egg thing because they feed off of one another. And sometimes you're going to find, you're going to find that there's people out there that are like, Oh, Hey, we're going to glom onto all of this because of the popularity of it. And the only way that, because they know nothing now, all of a sudden they're going to try to get clickbait and they're going to try to do something by taking somebody else's stuff and maybe just taking a word or two out of it to switch it up a little bit so that they can get clicks over to their site. So it's very important that you have solid journalism going on. Now, at the same time, you know, as well as I do, it's the world of professional wrestling. So anything can change at any given time. And it's very important to make sure that you are, you know, listening and following to quality people. And that brings us to where we're going to go to next. We don't want to waste any more of your time with listening to us, although you're going to have to listen to me a little bit more. Well, it's very educational, so I, I think we'll all be happy to listen to this next hour or so. When we come back, we're going to talk to a gentleman who is the owner um, of a site that has done probably more for the world of professional wrestling as far as journalism goes than any other site out there. In a very, very long time, if not overall in general. I'm talking about one Jimmy Van from Fightful.com. I've known Jimmy for many, many years. Uh, and, and those of you that are familiar with Fightful.com are obviously familiar with the great work that his uh, his guy Sean Ross Sapp does, who is like the face of the company, the man out there, you know, breaking all of the news so everybody knows who Sean is. Yeah, show it to Sean. He does great work. Absolutely, he does. But Jimmy is the guy behind the scenes. You know, Jimmy is the is the guy with the with the with the vision, I guess. And and Sean, not that Sean doesn't have the vision, but Sean is the guy out there doing the legwork. He's the face of it. He is out there. And Fightful has become a huge monster. So shout outs to those guys. I was glad that I got a chance to sit down and catch up with Jimmy after a lot of years. So how about we take a quick break? When we come back, we'll jump right into it. You guys will get to listen to that. And, uh, you know, it's a holiday season around here. We're all about giving. Ho, ho, ho. Please go out. Check it out. I love all of these lawful listeners. You guys are the most lawful people in the world. All right. Shouts out to the sponsors. And with that said, let's go hear some of them now. Are you a member of the BC Budtender community? Tetherbuds is bringing their unique experience to the West Coast for the first ever event in Vancouver, BC. January 24, 2024, Tether's Vancouver event will be the ultimate Budtender experience, featuring industry-leading brands, gift bags, and great vibes. Plus, complimentary food, refreshments, and music. Media, influencers, and other industry professionals are encouraged to join the fun. January 24, 2024 at Beaumont Studios. Get your tickets today at fanatickets.com. Special friends, you can catch Greg and Brad, your Smack Daddies, each weekend on the SNME Radio Network. We cover our lives, what's happening on the East Coast, and eventually cover SmackDown. Check us out each week at SundayNightsMainEvent.com. 
please subscribe to get your Smack Daddies and the rest of the SNME Radio Network content directly to your podcatcher for less than a dollar a week. We the ones! And it is that time once again here on The Law, live audio wrestling, where I get to sit down and have a conversation with people that, you know, sometimes I haven't talked to in a long time, people that uh, are doing fantastic things in the business, people that maybe sometimes don't get a chance to tell their story so much. And my guest this week is a man that you probably, you know, you definitely know the work that he is associated with. Uh, you definitely know if you've been around enough small circles, you know some of the work that he has done in the past. Uh, and I'm talking about one Mr. Jimmy Van, a gentleman that I have known for oh, many, many years. Um, from Fightful.com. Uh, from, geez, uh, I mean, an author, a published author for a book that costs 69 freaking dollars on Amazon right now. That's because it's from a second party seller. It was <laughs> it was out of print years ago, Chris. Years ago. Unbelievable. Jimmy, how are you doing, pal? I'm doing well. It's uh it's good to talk to you. It's good to yeah, talk man. to you. You're you're somebody I've always thought really highly of and uh you and I've always, you know, gotten along and uh yeah, we first met in 98. It's 1998. Yeah. And and here we are and uh I'll be honest, I don't do interviews much. I don't seek them out. And uh, when you hit me up, I was like, for Tid, 100%. 100%. So I'm, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate that very much. So let's let's start at the beginning because we, we, there's a lot to cover, like where you came from, how you got into this, what possessed you to get into the wrestling business in the first place, because I'm sure that you don't get a chance, like you just said, I mean, by choice or whatever reason, you don't get a chance to tell your story so much. Now, I know that you wrote a book, right? Uh, Wrestling's Underbelly, uh, that told your story up to a certain point, but not everybody's had a chance to read it because it, you said it is out of print and stuff like that. So let's let's take it back to the beginning. Small town boy mm-hmm. from like a, a minute, what, a township? Uh, yeah, that's Ma- right, a village. Mallory town. Very good. You, you're doing your research, Chris. No, I just there's there's certain things like my short term memory is uh, is is the shits, but it's <laughs> it's still not as bad as my long term. But am anyway. I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. awesome, awesome. Okay. <laughs> it is it is free reign, and we did have we did a a, a show with Harry D. Uh, referee Harry D not too long ago that we had to put up a disclaimer because it seemed like it was like a Sean Strickland promo. It oh, really? Like, okay. Yeah, there was there was quite a few quite a few f bombs, and if I'm saying that, you know, there's a a, a few too many. So, he got his ass kicked out in the crowd recently. You see that? Uh, you listen, listen. We talked about <laughs> this. We talked about this oh, on on one of our previous episodes. Uh, we talked about that and how you know, like maybe maybe the UFC has gone full wwe with some of their you know promoting abilities and whatnot but we'll get into all of that stuff in a second Mm -hmm. how did you go from being small town guy moving away from there because a lot of times you know as well as i do you grow up in those small towns you live in those small towns you stay in those small towns you die in those small towns yeah you know what i mean that that happens it happens an awful most of the time how did you get out of there and how did you get involved in professional wrestling 
uh, part of the credit goes to you, actually. So it, it was it was 1998. I was in yeah. my early 20s, and I wanted to move to Toronto because number one, I wanted to learn pro wrestling. I knew Toronto's a mecca for pro wrestling. And number two, like you said, if if, if I was going to live in my town, I was going to be a farmer. I was going to work in a factory. There wasn't a lot of opportunity, and so I moved to Toronto for that reason. And uh, when I moved here, I didn't know anybody, and so I went on the Google. I don't even know if Google was around then. I think it was, but I found Jeff Merrick uh, because live audio wrestling existed at the time. It was you and Jeff Merrick and Donnie Abreu. And I found Jeff and uh, hit him up cold. I just sent him an email and he invited me and this is going to make a smile. He invited me to an autograph signing at the Manor Strip Club in Guelph, Ontario. <laughs> Remember that? Uh, you know what? The Manor still exists. Yes, that's yes, the yes. Crazy, that's the crazy part, and I don't know if the carpet's been cleaned since then. <laughs> well, it was supposed <laughs> to be King Kong Bundy. Yeah. And so I went out and I met the three of you guys. Bundy no-showed, but we ended up hanging out there anyway. And I was a different guy then than I am now. I was, I was in my early 20s. I was, you know, I tried to hide it, but I was a pretty introverted, shy guy back then. But... Uh, I met you guys, and what I've always appreciated was that you, you and Merrick especially, introduced me to a lot of people, and you didn't have to, and uh, and so I've always appreciated it. So, from you, I was introduced to the Ontario independent wrestling scene, and I met a lot of people through you, and I ended up, you know, working with people that that people will know, like uh, Eric Young and Bobby Roode and Scott Demore and Angelina Love and Cody Deaner and. Uh, that's kind of how it started was meeting Merrick, meeting you. And then you guys introduced me to people along the way. And then you start, you start doing websites, you're doing websites and you end up getting hooked up with, I'm sure at the time, I'm sure at the time you were like, holy shit, AWA Dale <laughs> Gagne oh, yeah. is coming after me. Right. And was that really like your first meeting of, oh, there is a really, really shitty underside to the wrestling business uh it was probably steve hart okay um if i'm being honest because yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be very honest in this conversation Absolutely. and uh i i don't know how many stories you want me to tell but well, uh well and that okay this is a conversation that you and i had mm -hmm. when your book was coming out because you you were very very kind enough you didn't have to and anytime you gave me a call and you're like hey i've got this book coming out and you're you're in it. I'd like you to, you know, read it and stuff like that. If there's anything that you'd like me to change or whatever. And at the time I was like, you're damn right. I want to read this thing because, <laughs> because like you said, we had, you know, brought you around and introduced you to people and brought you into locker rooms and got you a feel of the business. So you were very much privy to a lot of stuff that me as a wrestler on the other side of it was not really willing to give away. You know what I mean? Not exposed. We don't pull the curtain mm -hmm. back. And especially at that time, I was still um, certainly not 25 plus years into the business. I was still green enough to where I knew that like, that's not my place to be doing stuff like this. And you were very, very, very um, polite, kind, compassionate, because there are some stories that you could have very well told without any of us being able to say damn thing about it because they weren't lies. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've never been the controversial guy, you know. Right. Like I've I've never. I mean, I'll, a quick story I'll tell you right off the hop. When I had my old site, I once did an interview with Ricky Steamboat. Okay. And after two hours, he told me on the phone. He said, "My wife is bugging me to go for dinner." He's like, "How about we continue tomorrow?" 
we ended up doing four hours over two days. And he said, he said to me at the end, he said, the reason that I wanted to keep going is because you took no shots. Right. You took no shots. You, you, you kept it straight. And he's like, whenever I do these, they always seem to find some kind of thing they can needle me about. And I was like, dude, you're, you're fucking Ricky Steamboat. Yeah. Like, what are they going to needle you about? But he told me that's why he kept it going. I, I don't need to be doing that, man. And, uh, and so I, I, I try to always be honest, but there's no need to, to pick out that controversial stuff just to kind of get noticed. But you know, as well as I do, a lot of the time because of those interviews and when you're interviewing an old timer or, or a vet, as you know, we like to refer like a Ricky steamboat, you know, everybody knows the stories that go along with it. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the online media people, right. That he may be doing an interview with, uh, they're looking for clickbait. Sure. They're looking for something to get out there to get their site noticed, to get their interview noticed. So a lot of times, I mean, a lot of times you have to give up your credibility, I guess, as a reporter to the fact that you're just looking for likes. You know what I mean? You're just looking for clout, right? And that's a that's a fine line. That's a really fine line, especially in the world of of professional wrestling and the media that goes along with it. Because ever since the beginning, ever since the beginning, it's always been, how do you toe that line? You know what I mean? It was one of the reasons that I left doing live audio wrestling so many years ago was because I wanted to become a professional wrestler. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the silliest, you know, moves in my life because while all of these <laughs> other people, you know what I mean? Like yourself, like Jeff Merrick, like Conrad Thompson that mm -hmm. all started off at the same, same level, doing the same exact thing have all gone on to do fantastic things. And I just ended up with a broken neck and a lot of bumps and bruises and have to crawl out of bed all weird like that in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know what? You don't have any what ifs. No. I and, don't. and, you know, and, you? and I'm, uh, no, not really. Not really. Th things, right. things kind of worked out well for me. I think I don't really have any, uh, any complaints, right. but, uh, I guess to go back to your, your question about the AWA and about, was yeah. that your first taste of whatever? Um, the AWA for me was a positive and a negative experience. It, it was positive because I got to meet a lot of people. Like, like I, I, one of the first shows I ever went to, there were a bunch of rookies there, like a guy named CM Punk was a rookie Cole Cabana was there as a rookie uh there, there were a bunch of names that I got to meet and uh and so I appreciated that Sherry Martell greatest she what a sweetheart she was I got to spend a weekend hanging out with her like there was a lot of positives about it I remember bringing you to an AWA show I think it was outside of Detroit Michigan and I will never forget uh watching that show with you and for anybody not familiar with the AWA they were pretty well known for false advertising <laughs> uh, they would advertise names that weren't there. I'm not going to go too deep into it. You can Google it. But me and Chris are watching the show. And I don't know if you remember this, uh, the million dollar man's music hit. Right. And some guy came out pretending to be like the nephew of Ted DiBiase. And, and you were standing next to me and you go, uh, you said something like that was misleading. <laughs> and that was, that was how it was with right. that promotion. So I ended up having a little legal dispute with, uh, with uh, Dale Gagne, who was not related to Vern Gagne. Uh, had a bit of a dispute with them and that's all I'll say about it. Mm -hmm. But, uh, like I said, there was good and bad. I'll tell you something, uh, that was positive about it. And it really kind of showed me how the wrestling business can be. And you won't remember this. So there was a show in Ontario, uh, and I used to come to the shows, right. And I, by then I kind of knew all you guys. And I went to one of the shows and I'll never forget. I was with uh, JQ public, Jermaine Wilson. And when we walked into the locker room, he was ahead of me. And when he walked in, everybody just like, Hey, 
when I walked in, everybody stood up and walked over and shook my hand. And I remember JQ and I left to go get something to eat. And JQ goes, what the hell was that? And I said, I think they all want to be booked. Like everybody wants to get booked because everybody thought the AWA was bigger than it really was. It was just an independent promotion, but everybody thought, oh, it's in America. Like this, this is the next step. Right. And everybody thought that. And that was my first taste of, because I, I, I was friendly, what I, but I wasn't necessarily one of the boys aside from a few people. But everybody was kind of kissing my ass that day. And I thought, all right, that's that's how it's going to be. So and that's that's pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. That's independent wrestling in a nutshell, especially back then. Maybe not so much now, but there was a lot more. I think you had to have FaceTime with somebody, you know what I mean? To get even a look from WWE, WWF at the time, like you had to send them a package that had like an eight by 10, a videotape of you winning matches uh, and losing matches and a promo and like put it into a manila envelope and go to your pure later and mail it off to them for them to look at. Now it's like, yeah, here's my YouTube link. Yeah, Did you know here's... that WWE called me because they thought I was a worker? Did you know that? When you were writing for them? I wasn't writing for them. Oh, I never okay. wrote. No, I, I was, I was uh, going through the writing process, gotcha. like the, the interview process. Stephanie McMahon was the boss of uh, the creative team at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was going through the process and that's a hell of a long story. But one day I get a phone call and WWE was going to be doing um, uh, Air Canada Center, whatever it was called back then. And I get a phone call and they asked me if I was available to work the show. And I thought, uh, and it, it turned out they thought I was a worker. I don't know how, how did, the hell that happened. Yeah. How did they get, I mean, listen, you had that opportunity to fulfill a dream, no matter how <laughs> ridiculous it would have looked. Right. Right. You know I mean, hell I mean? Mick Foley did it. Right. <laughs> Maybe they somebody should have lived, but I just told them, I said, I'm, I'm not a wrestler. And, and I don't know who it was. I was talking to. It was a guy. Right. And he, and he goes, Oh, he goes, I'll call you back. Never heard a thing again. <laughs> I'll call you back. Yeah. Bet you don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I always thought that was so weird. Like somebody called me wanting to book me for the, uh, for the WWE show in town. That had to be something because remember then they had their Canadian office. Yes. Right? And they had, uh, um, DeMarco, Carl DeMarco. Yeah. Right. The sandwich getter. Yeah. Vince McMahon at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, doing, doing his thing. So maybe that's, you know, that's how it was. Right. Yeah, no idea. Crazy. So, okay. So you're, you're introduced, you come in, you meet the people, you have some things with some shady promoters. You had mentioned Steve Hart. Yep. What happened there? So I didn't really know him all that well. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, he By was, the way, precursor, yep. not a heart. Shocking. Wow. <laughs> wow. So well, no, your first two forays are not a Gagne. Yes. Not a heart. Yes, exactly. Ted DiBiase's yeah. illegitimate nephew. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if I had a meeting with Roger McMahon and I forget. I yeah, wonder. Maybe that's what it was. But uh no, so so and I'm not here to like shit on anybody because sure. again, like I I've been fortunate and, and I'm not gonna do it, but uh he was my first taste of um uh, kind of you know do what I tell you to do or fuck off basically gotcha. where, uh, I had met him and, uh, um, and again, he let me into his locker rooms. I went to the training school a bunch of times. I even took a few bumps with you, if you remember. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I, I appreciate that he was accommodating in that way, but there was, uh, a, a show and you might remember this. There was a show where by then everybody knew me and, and, and I had been in 
a bunch of locker rooms for a bunch of shows. Steve said something like workers only. And he looked me in the eye and I thought, all right. So I left the locker room. And then after that, I was supposed to do commentary. Uh, and I forget the name of the referee that was working with Steve at the time. Um, but I was supposed to do commentary and I wasn't comfortable doing play by play. I like doing color better. So when we sat down at the table and they said, okay, Jimmy, you're uh, play by play. And I forget the other person you're going to do color. And I was like, Oh, I, I thought I was doing color. And the referee, what forget his name, went and talked to Rob. Okay. Rob, the referee. Yep. Myers. Yep. He went he went and talked to Steve and then he came back and he said, Fuck you then. And they brought somebody else over, gave him the mic. And I think that's the last time I ever went to a show booked by Steve Hart. I think. Wow. Could you yep. imagine just being so like what if the guy who you asked to do play by play? isn't comfortable doing play-by-play -play. now all of a sudden you're just finding somebody out of the crowd to do that you're comfortable enough doing your play-by-play -play commentary for yeah i don't know what happened That's with it wild. i mean I, I didn't get paid anything right i was doing it for free and sure. and they had no tv i don't think right but uh again it was what it was and uh, uh i didn't really sweat stuff like that back then because my Shh. my goal was not to work for was it the awf was that the name uh, of the, of the no. promotion? RWF. R yes. My, RWA. my goal was RWA. RWA. My go. goal in life was not to work for the RWA. Right. So I got over it. But, you know, like there's there's a ton of people now in the independents that are quite happy just working in their own backyard, so to speak. You know, air quotes being thrown up when I say that. Right. So it's not like it's it, it's a bad thing if that's what you want to do because pro wrestling as of now and i'm sure because you've been you've been covering it right this entire time mm -hmm. you've seen the growth you've seen the progression you've seen the changes uh in professional wrestling it has gotten a lot more inclusive it seems like whereas like before before it was like you had to have a certain something to be allowed into the business mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, but then right. that kind of changed around, uh, you know, it kind of, for me, it kind of changed around ECW times because ECW was a company that was now on TV, but it had people on there. You know, it was the Ron Jeremy effect, right? You know what I mean? There was just the, the normal looking guy, uh -huh. right? And if he can do it, well, shit, I can do it, right? And And there was always that attitude, so to speak, right? Then you get, you thought to yourself after all of these wonderful forays and meetings and, 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 and all of the stuff that goes along in the beginning of the business, you decided you were going to get into the world of promotion, mm -hmm. <laughs> become a wrestling promoter. What now, a great you, decision that was. Did you bump your head? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember sitting on a couch with uh, Nova. Uh-huh. I'll never forget it. And I had just lost my ass on a show and I'm sitting on a couch with Nova and he was trying to practically console me because uh, he knew I lost my ass on the show. Right. But uh, I don't regret it for a second though. I mean, I, I wanted to learn the business mm -hmm. and I didn't look at being an independent promoter as, Oh, this is going to make me rich. Not at all. I just wanted to learn the business. I wanted to learn the ins and outs. I wanted to learn what are the costs work? Uh, you know, how do you pay the talent? I just wanted to learn. And, uh, oh, I learned if you don't have TV, good luck. I mean, because you have to remember this was, there wasn't even YouTube back then. Right. So I remember trying, I was trying to be progressive. I don't know if you remember that I was 
trying to take digital video and mm -hmm. I was trying to put it on the website. Like I was trying to be progressive, but technically or technology wise, we just weren't there yet. But uh, I don't regret doing it. It was, it was, there were great experiences. The one thing I did really like is I like when I would come up. Cause you remember I used to, I did stuff that I know I shouldn't have done. Like I would do full scripts for mm -hmm. independent wrestling shows, which I shouldn't have done. Oh yeah. Whatever. Oh yeah. I, I can remember getting remember? some of those things. Yeah. Here, that was Here's your script or whatever. And, I, and, and we would always have a conversation yep. every single time. And it was always, how much of this do you absolutely need in there? Yeah. And what can I deviate from? Yep, yep. Right. And you were always very much, uh, I believe that the workers should have their artistic abilities and artistic license for their stuff. But I do also have a vision. You're always very good about stuff. like. Yeah. I mean, when you look at how wrestling got away from that uh, and WWE for many years got away from that, I believe that promo should be bullet points. Right. And I think that you should give the talent the opportunity to showcase their own ability and use their own voice so that you don't have 20 guys that sound like the writer that put it together word for word. So, yeah, I would always try to uh, to, to not do word for word stuff and let people just kind of hit the points, but do it their way. But uh, just the fact that I would have these. I remember Jim Duggan, like, scrolling through a script, mm -hmm. like, page by, and I kind of felt stupid. Like, I thought to myself, should I be doing this? There's 200 people out there kind of right. thing. But I was a kid, man, and I and I was kind of learning as I went. And uh, I'll tell you, I loved it when I would come up with something and the crowd would pop. I loved it. And more times than not, there'd be 15 people you wouldn't hear shit. But uh, <laughs> but I don't I don't regret it. It was it was a good experience. Taught me a lot about the business, and uh, I was able to use a lot of that in kind of my business life outside of wrestling later on too. What I learned. So still, still to one of the funniest moments to this day was I think you had Jim Neidhart on a show and I had picked him up for you and we had gone for lunch and it was kind of like that, that winter winter time where he wasn't used to the, you know, the ice, the black ice here in Ontario and was freaking out because he was put into a car that he was too small for already. Cause there was so many of them in there and he's freaking out on the way to the venue and we get to the venue and he's finally calming down and he's up on the stage where the dressing room was before we came out and he starts doing some push-ups. And this is while the show is going on and decides to basically pull down the curtain and kick over the speaker damn near. And, Oh, I was like, yep. Independent wrestling. All right. <laughs> yeah. I remember, uh, do you remember the story? Dean Jarris uh, was the one that experienced this where Jim power slammed somebody, but through his tongue. And he's in the locker room kind of spitting blood. And I think it might have been Chris Tidwell that gave him a bottle of Jack. I think yeah, it might have been you. <laughs> and, and so now he's feeling no pain. And so somebody tells him, you know, Niagara Falls isn't far away. And so he goes out there. Dean Jarris is with him. And I don't know who else. He goes out there, uh, gambles away his payoff. Goes to, there's of course, there's a pawn shop in the casino. Because of course there is. So he goes to the pawn shop. He, he has a watch that he says Vince McMahon gave him for WrestleMania 3. Pawns the watch, gets some extra cash, goes back to the tables, miraculously wins back everything he had lost, and goes back and gets the watch and then goes to the airport. Unbelievable. Like, unbelievable. Luck, yeah, right? unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere, if it was me, that watch would be still sitting in the pawn <laughs> shop. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, or it'd be on somebody else's wrist. Yeah, 100%. Ab yeah. Absolutely. Um, let me ask you this. So then you get out of wrestling, and, mm -hmm. you know, that was – it just, it was, I think at a time, tell me if I'm wrong or not, but at the time it was just, it wasn't, 
it wasn't making the money that you thought that it was going to make for you. So you just kept losing money over and over again, right? Promoting, you mean? Yeah, promoting. Yeah, I think we only had one profitable show the whole time right. that I ran. Yeah. And then you decide, okay, enough of this BS. I'm going to get out of the world of promoting. What came next? So um, I was by then, I think in my late 20s, early 30s, and I thought I got to start actually making some money because mm -hmm. now if you're going to get a quote unquote real job, I was competing with kids coming out of school now, like for entry level jobs. And so I thought I got to smarten my ass up. And the one positive was through my original website, I learned how to sell advertising because I was okay. selling my own uh, ad banners. So I thought I must be able to parlay this into something. So I got a job in the ad world, advertising world. And I just rolled with that and did that for many, many years and uh, ended up opening my own company. And uh, at our peak, we had 40 employees, did really well. And that's what led me to eventually uh, creating Fightful because I, I loved very much like what you're doing with the radio show now. I love the community aspect of my original website. I love being able to talk wrestling, write about wrestling, uh, engage with my readers and with my viewers. That was the fun part. Mm -hmm. uh, the bullshit I didn't like, you know, the, the, the negativity and the criticism and all that crap. But, uh, but I liked the community aspect. So that's when I decided to, to start Fightful because now I had the resources and I had the time. And so that's what led to that. Do you think, now who else was out there doing media, I guess, at the time for wrestling like that would have been uh, Meltzer? You mean way back? Yeah, way back. It would have been like uh, Wade. Yeah, I so I, Wade. I, I never considered myself a journalist. Okay. Like never. I, I didn't really Was it more of you just got into it to do like just fan boy stuff? Or Yeah, yeah. Fan? Like for the most part. I mean, I, I, I wasn't known to really break news. Sometimes I did because I did meet people. Mm -hmm. But mostly I was doing like raw reviews. I was doing like daily news updates. I was pulling a lot of my stuff from the Melters and the Wade Kellers of the world. So I didn't consider myself a journalist ever. I was just a guy that wrote about pro wrestling. And because there was so much less competition, we're talking like the late 90s, so much less competition. I was able to get 60,000 daily page views just because there was me and a handful of other sites. I mean, back then yeah. there was himarajah.com. Yeah. That was out there back then. Wrestling Inc. was around. I think Lords of Pain was around. That was about it. And and right. there was no YouTube. There was no Twitter. So yeah. it was much easier. Melcher, I think, was only doing the uh the printed newsletter back then. It was then, still it was still he had to wait for it to come in with your subscription yep. mailed out to you or whatever, right? Brian Alvarez was actually still wrestling. That's right. At, at the time. And there was only one podcast show doing any of this stuff. That's that right. Was live audio wrestling. That was yep. it. Yep. You go out there and you see the landscape now, and it's insane oh, the yeah. amount of stuff that is out there. The the access to everybody. So it's almost been. Has it been easier or harder over the time, um, or is, have you? Has it grown into its own animal? Are you talking like the, the the wrestling media world? The wrestling media world. You think. Uh, well, it's been it's, harder for you because you've been doing it for, you know what I mean? For, for long enough. And you've seen all of these other sites and podcasts and shows and everything like that. All of the media come up alongside of Fightful, mm -hmm. right? Has it made it more difficult? So what's made it difficult. So the first five years of Fightful, we lost money. Okay. And Sean Ross Sapp, uh, the managing editor of Fightful, he's the name everybody knows. 
he used to hit me up all the time. Do I need to look for another job? And because he knew we were losing money. And I told him, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm doing this for the fun of it. I'm not doing it for the money. So we'll keep going. After five years, we became profitable. The issue with wrestling news now is uh, there's a lot of media illiteracy, just like everything else. People believe everything. So if, if somebody says, oh, uh, Fightful reported that Hulk Hogan grew horns, people are going to buy it. Right. So that's become a big problem, media illiteracy. Uh, there's a lot of people that will clout chase. So they'll just make shit up for, for clicks. Uh, sometimes they'll claim FIFA reported something that we didn't because they're trying to hurt us. So that's been a big problem. That uh, one there specifically? What's that? That one specifically? People like just making shit up and attaching your name to it? Yeah, but they don't just do it for us. They they do it for others too. Like people will crap on Meltzer. They'll crap on Keller. They'll crap on Mike Johnson. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just a lot of negativity in the world. There's a lot of internet trolls, miserable people, and they want to make everybody else miserable just like that. We've all experienced it. Mm -hmm. So wrestling, just like I think any other news type of news, you have to deal with that. And uh, and Sean all the time will talk about media literacy. It's it's a big problem. But um, the good thing about us, so when we started and when I first found Sean, I told him I want to be a breaking uh, destination for news. I don't want to be an aggregator. I want to actually break news. And Sean wasn't known for that when I found him. He was working at Wrestling Inc. And we still joke about it. He was working for Wrestling Inc. He was like the third string guy. He didn't break news. But he told me, if you'll let me hire writers to aggregate, because other outlets break stories and we got we to gotta cover them. If you'll let me hire writers to aggregate, that'll open up my schedule so that I can cultivate sources. So I said, cool, we'll hire writers. And uh, he had the time to cultivate sources. And now he's probably the, the most well-known uh, newsbreaker in the world of wrestling. And uh, Fifel's done well. It took time, but we got there. Is there a difference? Is there a difference between a historian and a dirt sheet writer? So yes. Um, sometimes they intermix. Mm -hmm. I think the problem is, and this is one thing that's been good for Sean and, and Sean shows me everything. I've seen text messages with the people that he talks to. He talks to, most of the top names in, in the business. One thing that they appreciate about Sean is Sean is not a quote unquote dirt sheet writer. Every time he hears a story, he double checks it. He triple checks it. He won't report on it unless he gets the green light to report on it. Uh, and I'll give you an example, Bray Wyatt. This is a good example. We knew for months that he had a heart condition. When I say we, I mean, Sean and Sean tells me everything. So I knew. Out of respect for Bray's family, Fightful never reported it. Meanwhile, you've got other outlets that are making shit up. Oh, Bray Wyatt was backstage at Raw. He's debuting next week. Complete bullshit. Oh, Bray Wyatt, uh, uh, he's getting cleared for a back injury. Complete bullshit. They didn't know anything. We knew what the problem was. And uh, out of respect, like I said, we didn't report on it. And when Bray unfortunately passed away, Sean's the one that broke the story of him passing away. And it was because the family gave him uh, their blessing to report on it. So that is what I consider to be the difference between a dirt sheet writer and a journalist is when you try to respect the business and you don't cross any boundaries. Uh, and Sean will tell you stuff like wrestler relationships. He doesn't report on that stuff. You know, like what they do, that's their business. It's, it's stories where he double checks it, triple checks it, uh, knows it's legitimate. 
whereas a lot of quote unquote dirt sheet writers, if they're not flat out making shit up, they hear it from one source and they roll with it. And with all due respect to Dave Meltzer, I have a ton of respect for Dave Meltzer. He's a pioneer in, in, in the world of wrestling journalism. He's been called out many times because sure. he'll hear one thing. There, there, there are even stories about him hearing fake news from someone that claimed to be somebody that they weren't, and he reported on it. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's just not uh, what you should be doing in the world of wrestling journalism. No, and I think that that's also something that has been um, to Dave's detriment over the years is stories like that happening is he doesn't do it enough. He doesn't check his stuff enough. I think that, you know, and also you have to take into consideration a lot of the times something that you may be reporting on, like so-and-so is debut. Randy Orton is back and going to be on fucking raw and running this program. Well, that could change five minutes before airtime. Yes. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, as well as I do that inside of that world, it's a even more of a fine line probably for reporters, I would think. You know what I mean? I've always, from my time in the business, like wrestling in the business, not being, I look at, I look at the wrestling business like a bullseye mm-hmm. where you have, you know, your epicenter of stuff and then the auxiliary stuff, the, the outside, the further you get, right? And then you have your your leeches all on the edges trying to reach in for little bits and stuff. Leeches and wrestling. You're kidding. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Right. (laughs) Um, But I always found that even from the very beginning, something that was instilled into me uh, from the wrestling end was protecting the business, Mm -hmm. always protect the business at all costs. Now that's changed a little bit because the curtain's been pulled back mm-hmm. uh, on stuff. Has there ever been, has there ever been any story that has come back like to bite you in the ass? Um, so let me say first, this is kind of a, on the side um, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to tell any names. Sure. When I used, when I used to promote wrestling back in the day, there were a couple certain wrestlers that would email me hating the fact that I had a wrestling news website and and was reporting on wrestling news um and one of them wrote a story for slam wrestling so if you think about it you could probably figure out who it was but (laughs) but i remember dealing with that back then right now um the biggest problem now is that again wait you didn't get along with bret hart (laughs) oh i could tell you bret hart story too (laughs) oh we all have those (laughs) yeah maybe maybe another time but uh no the, the biggest issue now is that people if they have a bone to pick for no reason whether it be jealousy or whatever um because a lot of people are jealous of sean ross out because sean's done well and right. you, you're just going to deal with that sometimes so sometimes they will spin a story in order to say sean was wrong uh even though he wasn't necessarily wrong so that happens where they'll try to spin something to say he was wrong but otherwise, has a story come back to bid us? Not that I can think of. I can't think of one where he was flat out wrong uh, and it made us look like crap. I just can't think of one. Doesn't mean it hasn't happened, but Sean's pretty good at, uh, like I said, double checking, triple checking. So and it's not something I can think of. So I want to talk to you as well. I want to talk to you as well because you had a uh, a couple of things. I don't know which one you want to touch on here first. Um you did a project about grappling with grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I know what the project is about. Some people may not. Uh, for those of you that don't, we'll, we'll get into it. Because it was, it was something that 
affects everybody in the world, I think. Right. And we're talking about your dad. Tell me the story about how grab did you come up with grappling with grief? Yeah. Um, how did this come about? Um, why? Obviously, we know that that uh, that answer, but tell everybody. Appreciate you asking about that. So th this was something that I came up with as a way to channel my grief, if I'm being honest. So my my dad was diagnosed with cancer in uh, 2019. Uh, or sorry, not 2019, in 2018. Okay. Uh, and he ended up passing away from cancer seven weeks after he was diagnosed. Because wow. he, he was an older guy. He passed away when he was 80. Uh, and he had had a lot of health problems because he just, you know, a lot, a lot of older people, they're just not very mobile, not very active. Mm -hmm. And that leads to problems. And so that's why now I'm, I'm going to be 50 next year and I'm in the best shape I've ever been in because uh, I learned a lot from his situation. He passed away from cancer and I was really close with him and, and, you know, with my mother still. And so I was looking for a way to deal with it because I knew he was terminal, you know, like they, they couldn't treat him because chemo would have killed him. Right. So I knew it was a matter of time. I was looking for a way to channel it. And so what I decided to do, and I would suggest anybody do this. If you have a family member who's old or who's sick, I uh, made a documentary about my parents. I hired a professional film crew. I brought all of their friends and family that I could together back in the town I'm from. And I interviewed everybody and uh, including my dad and put everything together into a documentary. Nothing that's commercial. You're not going to see it on Netflix or nothing. Uh, I just did it for the hell of it. And right. then that I really, uh, I'm really glad I did it because my dad, he wasn't able to see the final product, but he was able to see the raw footage. So he was able to see his friends say a lot of great things about him before he passed. Mm -hmm. So I did that. And then uh, not long after he passed, my sister was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And so and we're, this was about uh, nine months, I think, in between him passing and her being diagnosed. So now here I am having to deal with it again. And that one really kind of rocked my world. So that's where grappling with grief came from, because like you just said, uh, everybody's been affected by cancer and by other ailments too. And so I thought, you know what, maybe I can turn a negative to a positive. So grappling with grief, it's a completely nonprofit thing. I don't make a dime from it. I never will. It's something I do to tell people stories. So every week to this day, you can go on grapplingwithgrief.com or grapgrief.com. And we have stories that people have told about their situation and losing a loved one. And that's where that all came from. It, that is, it's so cool. I mean, it sucks that something so good and so cool has to come from something so bad. You know what I mean? If you didn't have one, you wouldn't have the other. But I think that it's one of those things where having something like grappling with grief where people can go to you know, because at those moments, you're lost. You don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. You have nobody to turn to. At any given time, usually on the internet and what is out there, there's somebody that you can turn to. And not everybody's calling these hotline numbers to talk mm -hmm. to somebody. Not everybody's doing that. But to just be able to read certain stories or, you know, possibly get their own video made, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, or encourage them to do so for themselves so that their kids and grandkids and whatever the case may be can also remember, you know, the people in their family. One of the things like for myself with my grandfather, he died a um, few years back now, but before he had died, 
I went out and I got a, a portrait tattoo of him on my forearm. Chris Tidwell got a tattoo. I know, right? Crazy, right? Like, okay. so I've got, you know, I've got a portrait here where I can sit there. You know, a lot of people get it on their chest or on their mm -hmm. back. I don't know. It's weird. To me, it was one of those situations. I wanted it where I can look down and I can, quote, quote, talk to him mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. any given time. I was, I was not fortunate enough to be there when he passed because at the time I was dealing with I was dealing with such a bad infection. I had had a double compound fracture in my left leg uh, and ended up getting a staph infection that was so bad that they had me on intravenous 24 hours a day. I had to wear a hip sack and it was a needle into my arm for two weeks straight. During that time was exactly when my grandfather passed. I wasn't able to get on an airplane mm. to go there or anything like that. So you lose out. You lose out on that, on that thing. So the fact that you have something that you can just pop in at any given time, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, to that, that has been documented. I think that is cooler than hell. I think it's something that should be commended. And I think it's something that more people should look into possibly doing um, in their life for sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, because of technology now you can use your smartphone Yeah, and the video quality is excellent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, when I first did it, I remember my family was like, you did what? You hired a film crew? What? Like they, they thought it was ridiculous. But after they saw the finished product, they were really appreciative that I did it because my dad, I think after he did the interview, he was gone like a month later. So it was cool that we now have all of that. And we can go back, like you said, my, my kids, I've got two little kids. They're never going to remember him. Right. But I can, I can go back and show them that. Same thing with my sister. They're not going to remember her either. But I can go back and show them because I did one about her too. Uh, and so they're going to be able to look at that and, and be able to remember them. And that's why I did it. And, you know, when, when you and I were young, cause you and I, you know, we're getting older, Chris. Yeah, dude, I what, just turned 54. Oh, I mean, you look amazing. You look the same as when I first met you. So there you go. But Wait, when, I looked, what you're saying is I looked 54 back then. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe 52. But when we were, when we were kids, people didn't talk about this stuff. Right. And, and I remember, uh, I might've been, uh, meet the Fockers or meet the parents when one of the jokes is they're sitting around the table and one of the mothers, whenever she says the word cancer, she whispers it, you know, did you hear about Mrs. Smith? She has cancer. That's because that's how it was. Right. But I found with my dad, when I actually could talk about it because people can relate, it's not like this is the first time anyone's been stricken with a disease. So I thought when I could talk about it, it helped me. Uh, and it helped other people because they could relate and they could tell me their stories too. So, and, and technology is finally at the place now where you have the ability to do that. Right. You know, you're not just walking around with like a, a, a boom box size camcorder, you know, recording crappy shit. You know what I mean? For the sake of just <laughs> recording it on your Betamax recorder. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Are we dating ourselves? <laughs> yeah. So, so you get out of that and you decide that you've got to make some real money. You start and you get into the world of advertising. Mm -hmm. How and why? Um, what? Tell me a little bit about um, Aware Ads and how it formed and what it does. So I'm not actually with the company anymore. I uh, Yeah, I left you last bought year. Out? Yeah, I got bought out. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Well, so there's I'm actually leaving Toronto and and it's gonna be a full circle thing. I'm moving back to a small town. Okay. And I'll I'll tell you off camera where I'm moving because there's an irony attached to it. 
Okay. But, uh, but I'm leaving Toronto. So I, I left the company last year because I just don't want to be in Toronto anymore. And uh, yeah. I don't want to be an absentee boss. But long story short, after I'd been in the ad world for a while and, and I learned the ins and outs of it, the natural progression was to start my own company. Like I had learned how to run a company. I had, I had moved my way up to being the director of sales of, a, of another company, basically ran the show there. So the natural progression was to start my own. And so myself and a buddy of mine started a company in 2011 and uh, just hit the ground running. You know what I mean? I mean, any, anytime you start a company, you're taking a financial risk, a calculated risk. And maybe it's going to work and maybe it doesn't. And we got lucky that it did. And so uh, I ran that for about 12 years, 11, 12 years, and just decided finally I'd had enough time to move on. And so that's what I did last year. Is it a company like, was that, was that the company that afforded you the luxury of being able to do Fightful? Yes. Yes. So when we were about five years in, let me tell you something and Money is not everything in this right. world. And I, I know that everybody always had these, these dreams. You know, if I had this much money, I'd be doing this. Money's not everything. And after we'd had the company for about five years, my, I have a business partner. I had a business partner. We were bored. And so one day him and I sat down and I said, let's just do something else like on the side to kind of generate extra interest for ourselves kind of thing. So we agreed we're both going to create a website and the company's going to fund it. So Fightful is what I created. He created one about uh, like crime scene stuff because uh, he likes that kind of stuff. Go on YouTube. It's called Crime Zone. There you go. All right. And so that's where it started. And so uh, I had the the company's money behind me to start Fightful, and found Sean Ross Sap. I had a development team built out the built out the website, and yeah, that's how it started. That is insane. Did you think that it was going to come that kind of full circle for you? What was what did you think your end goal was going to be when you got into the world of wrestling? The first time or the second time or? Yeah. Well, let's start with the first time. I mean, the first time everybody's goal is to be a wrestler. Yeah. Not me. I'm five, nine. Uh, right. And I know now that doesn't matter. Right. But, and to be honest with you, when I, the first time I walked into the Ontario independent locker room, mm -hmm. I was shocked because I was bigger than most of the guys. Yeah. And I was surprised. I mean, when I looked at you, when I met, so anybody who's never met Chris, Chris, what are you, 6'4"? Six, 6'4", four? Six, four. yeah. And when I first met you, uh, and I knew that you were training to be a wrestler at that time, mm -hmm. I thought, well, there you go. This is this is wrestling. And then I think one of the first guys I met after you was Mark Hamilton. Right. A.K.A. Magnus Van Steel, for anybody familiar. He's also 6'4", and he was jacked. And I thought, yeah. this is pro wrestling. Yeah. Then I walk into a locker room. And there's Showtime Eric Young, and there's the custom-made man, and there's whoever, and I thought, Jesus. Yeah. So maybe my size wouldn't have been a, a detriment after all. But no, my goal was to be a writer for WWE. That was my dream, was okay. to be a writer for WWE. And going through the process killed that dream. Going through the process told me, I don't want to work for this company. Really? Yeah. Was it just because it was like they just had you running through too many hoops? Or so I'm not going to make accusations. Sure. But as part of the process, uh, what they have you do is you have to fill out a waiver uh, that says, hey, you know, anything that you do, if, if there's any similarities to television, it's completely coincidence. Oh. Uh, we're free of liability, whatever. Oh, and I'm a young shit. So they wanted me to do two scripts yeah. uh, and they had to match the current content. And this was 2000, might have been 2002, 2003 somewhere in there. 
Okay. So they said, you got to match the current content. And I said, okay, cool. The first one that I did, uh, and I'm, I won't go too deep because people won't remember maybe, but there was a tag team match. Uh, I believe it might've been with the reincarnation of the NWO, I think. And on one side, it was Steve Austin and the Big Show, who were the baby faces. And the other side, I think, was NWO guys. My story had to do with Big Show turning on Austin in a tag match. Uh, he wouldn't tag in. And then eventually he tags in, but then turns around, attacks Austin, goes with the NWO. Well, that happened on Raw. Right. And when that happened, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And then a month later, they called me again. Uh, and they said, hey, you've made it to the next round. Uh, so you have to submit a couple more scripts. I thought, all right. So I did one, and you might remember this. I did one where the NWO announced, Ric Flair, as a spokesperson, announced that the newest member of the NWO was Booker T, but they did it unbeknownst to Booker T. So in storyline, Booker T didn't know that he was being introduced, and they showed Booker T, and he's shocked and whatever. Well, I, I wrote that, and it played out on television. And again, it could have been coincidence, right? but it did. And so now I was starting to get irritated. Uh, they asked me one more time and I did one more. And the one that I did was about Kane. And the story was Kane was on a losing streak. And so he has a heart to heart talk in the ring. I can't remember if I had him talking to Steve Austin or Shawn Michaels. He has a heart to heart talk, ends up turning on the guy that uh, does it. And then like a week later, takes the mask off. That happened on TV. But if I wrote Shawn Michaels, it was Steve Austin. Or if I wrote Steve Austin, it was Shawn Michaels. Right. But it happened on TV. They just, after, they just basically changed a little bit. Yeah, now, could have been coincidence. Sure. Not going to make accusations, but after that, uh, they called me again, and it turned out the WWE was in town at the time for a pay-per-view, or they were coming to town. And I said, I'll tell you what, I will meet Stephanie McMahon at the arena. It's not going to cost you anything. Not going to cost you a hotel. It's not going to cost you a plane ticket. Not going to cost you anything. I'll go down and meet her for free. Uh, and they said, we'll get back to you. Never called me again. Really? Yes. Now, and this that, was also... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, after that, I, I decided this isn't for me. Yeah. And uh, and I'm in retrospect, I'm really glad things worked out the way they did. Because if I had have taken that job, you've probably heard how thankless it is. And working for Miss McMahon and rotating door. And I think especially things Especially for out. the writers. Especially yes. Especially for writers. Right. Yes. Like you, they get blown in and out of there. Like it's unbelievable. And it, it doesn't surprise me that it happened that way because that was also at a time, I think that everybody was whoever gets to TV with it first wins and it's theirs. That it was that kind of mentality because the same thing was happening with workers, right? Guys on the independent scene were coming up with fantastic spots and all of these, you know, moves, these new innovative moves but then all of a sudden you would see it on TV being done exactly, you know, by somebody else. It's like, well, okay, well, I'm screwed now. It's, right. it's not mine. I didn't come up with it anymore. It's not mine. It's the person who came up with it on TV. To this day, one of my favorite, you know, I, I tell people this all the time. It was like the, the shooting star press, mm -hmm. you know, who came up with it. I know Kidman used it, but uh... yeah. Cause you know where he got it from? No. Canyon. Oh, is that right? So okay. him and Canyon, when they were a tag team, they did this like hockey goon, New York tag team thing back in the Indies, right? Mm -hmm. And Canyon came up with the the shooting star, but he couldn't do it. Every He'd land on his head every time because he was just too big. Couldn't, too big. He was too yeah. bulky, couldn't get the rotation. 
So his tag partner, Billy Kidman, would do the move all uh-huh. the time. And that's right. where that's where it actually came up with. So, you know what I mean? There's always I, I always credit uh, Kane came up with so many different things, mm-hmm. but he didn't never, never got the credit for it because somebody else did it on TV. Mm, you know, like for myself, I use the muscle buster uh, for for a finish for years and years and years. Then all of a sudden I'm sitting there watching TV and here comes Joe, you know, on right. TV, boom, uses the muscle buster for it. And it's like, now, listen, I didn't come up with it. Mm-hmm. I stole it from Ricky, from uh, Ricky Marvin, you know what I mean? And just kind of modified it a little bit before my size. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, it's that whoever does it on TV first wins. Yep. Cause now if so- you use it on the next independent show, now you're copying him. 100%. Yeah. Even though you're the you're the one that came up with it. So same thing, same thing with with writing. I can only imagine, you know, uh w- was the same kind of concept. You came up with the story, but who are you going to tell? No, well you're not. And like I had always heard, even at that time, I had heard when something goes well creatively, Vince takes the credit. When something goes bad, he shits on the writer. Like I'd always heard that. And I know a couple of people that had opportunity uh, to work for the company. And again, you got to remember, this is 20 some years ago, right. but I knew people that uh, had an opportunity and they were told by wrestlers that worked for the company at the time, if you take the job, you're going to lose your love of wrestling. Yes. That's what they, that's what they told them. Yeah. And so in retrospect, uh, I'm glad that it didn't happen for me because uh, who knows where I'd be now. I probably wouldn't have fight I'll tell you that much. No, no, probably not. And, do you think now that leads me to my next question though do you think that is there another stage in all of this um or is this like yep i'm just cruising this ship down the river <laughs> so when you say another stage you mean four five yeah like a stage four five yeah i mean i don't know it's a it's ever evolving you know i mean i've sean and i have spitballed a bunch i mean when we, when we started out like i said we were losing money i came up with the idea for five select which is um our paywall and that has really kind of made us profitable. Good. We've spitballed, you know, maybe we'll create an app. Um, I guess we'll kind of see where it goes. But uh, it's not something, fortunately, that I have to put a lot of time into. Like right. I, do a, I do a podcast on Wednesday afternoon. Noon's mm-hmm. called Fightful's the Hump. And other than that, Sean runs it. And uh, he's got a team that he works with. And I've got some people behind the scenes that handle, you know, development and marketing and all of that. Otherwise... You know, Sean comes to me for any major decisions. I do payroll. I do the podcast. That's about it. So I can't complain too much. Well, if you guys are ever looking for more content, I know a guy who does a show. Do you? <laughs> I'll have to meet him. And it even comes with a really cool vintage name. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> yes. Who's got the ownership of that, by the way? Well, that's me. Okay. okay. That's me. Um, you know, funny story. And we've talked about this already, um, you know, because I, I'm the one that named it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the first place, sitting around in virtually Canadian when we started all of this, you know, online radio stuff. And they originally, Donnie and Jeff had it uh, called Slam the Wrestling Show. And then we get a nice letter from across the street from where we were from Greg Oliver Greg and Oliver. Fine folks over at Slam yep. saying, hey, you no, you can't do that. And so we were like, <laughs> okay, well, we changed the name. And that's when I came up with Live Audio Wrestling. And then I just walked away, you know, allowed the show to continue under that name. I never sold anything on it. It was just under the premise of fair, a handshake. These are my friends. This is what right. they're doing. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. was a completely different time. Hmm. 
when I had decided to get back into this stuff, because I had had my last wrestling match last December um, for physical reasons, I ended up, I've got problems with my spine where, you know, over the years I've now got spurs that uh, connect every single one of my vertebrae to each other, except for two mm. in my back. I've broken my C6 and my C7 in my neck for wrestling. I, it's, you know what I mean? So, and that that's not surprising because I remember all the times that you did hurricane ranas and uh, top rope planches. And <laughs> I don't know if it was so much that as much. It was like, you know, you walk into the venue and you, you find the balcony and you're like, Hey, what can I jump off of today? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when you're six foot four, 280 pounds, that's not the smartest move in the world. Mm -hmm. Not everybody can be a Mike awesome, right. you know, but, right. but that was always the thing. So when I decided to get back into this, you know, just thinking about it and shooting around names with my crew of guys, with my co-host Brady and, 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 and our partner Randy. And, you know, they were like, listen, the law would be great if it's available. I go, I know it would be nostalgic. It'd be perfect. The first person to do it, blah, 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 kind of comes full circle. We start doing research on it and find out never trademarked hmm, interesting. never done mm -hmm. so i scooped it the damn right scooped good for it. you good for you right so we've managed to you know we've got the copyright we've got the trademark on it we've done all of the right things uh has there been some blowback from some people yeah absolutely yeah but you they know? was an anthem uh that yeah. cut live audio wrestling loose like a few it was years fight ago network. No. fight network fight that's right right okay. yeah and the reason yeah. that they did it was because they needed to dump more money into their wrestling product yes i'd heard that you know? yeah so yeah. Th there's no doubt about that so i still get asked all the time because so I, I talk a lot of business on my podcast fightfuls of the hunt because that's kind of my bread and butter so i'll, mm -hmm. I'll talk to the business of pro wrestling i get asked a lot why does impact exist like how do they make money right and i always say it's for content like mm -hmm. they, they, they need the content for the fight network for access. They basically bought access TV for impact mm -hmm. because they needed a television partner, but it's, it's for content. That's why they, that's why they're around. You know? Yeah. It's, it was, I mean, listen, it makes sense. Let them do their thing. Uh, I've got, I've never had any problems, you right. know? Um, but they, you know, some people, some people tried to send us a letter, you know, the typical bullying letter. We'd like you to withdraw your thing. And it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. If you'd like, we can sit down and have a conversation. Mm -hmm. I'll be glad and I can slide some numbers across the table for you and, you know, make all of this work out. But you know how many people would have been scared by that letter? So that that says something about you, because because, uh, again, we've dealt with it. And I I shouldn't go too deep on this, but we got one from WWE years ago. Fightful did, because on our paywall, we had access to the actual television scripts, like the, the actual script. And we put them on the paywall for subscribers and WWE got wind of it, and uh, Sean, because he was kind of a you know a young kid from Kentucky, he had never dealt with this kind of stuff. He's freaking out, and I said, "Let me handle it," because I've dealt with lawyers a million times, mm -hmm. and I'll never forget. I'm talking to a lawyer from WWE, and they were cool about everything, by the way. But I was talking to a lawyer from WWE, and as I'm talking to him, I'm going on the paywall to look at the scripts or the links that he's citing, not knowing that as I'm talking to him, Sean's deleting them. Because Sean was freaking out. And I had to hit up Sean saying, put them back, put them back, put them back. <laughs> right. Because you're killing my leverage. Yeah. <laughs> so Sean's like re-uploading them, you know. So, but it turned out great. And uh, and WWE, they've actually been a great partner of ours. Like, they're very accommodating. I think they understand the game. I mean, if you, if you look at uh, Triple H's media scrums, 
mm-hmm. there it's it's almost all online, right? That are at those media scrums. Hunter's not done, right? And so uh, WWE's been very cool to us. Every wrestling company, as a matter of fact, has well, been really cool I mean, to us. listen, you give them you give opportunity and platform to all of these people um, on a scale that is really really unheard of in the grand scheme of things because there's so many places, there's so much content, right? But Fightful has always managed to um, maintain numbers above and beyond a lot of other a lot of other subscribers. I got a fun. I actually want to ask you a question. Sure, please. So you remember uh, the Brown Hornet? Absolutely. Right. Who's now a referee with uh, NXT? Mm-hmm. So um, it was only within the last couple of years, I think, two or three years, people kind of figured out that I'm the owner of Fightful. Because I say behind the scenes, Sean is the face. Mm-hmm. But people start to find out. So him, for example, he hit me up out of the blue. I haven't talked to him in years. Mm-hmm. He hit me up out of the blue and he's like, do you own Fightful? And I was like, where where'd you hear that? He said, somebody told me. I said, yeah, I do. And same thing like Cody Dean or like yeah. different people that from my past. What about you? Like at some point, because I think most people knew of Fightful, but they didn't know of me. They knew of Sean. So is there a time when you found out who who's part of Fightful? Jimmy, what? Uh, it was probably, I mean, maybe 2016. Okay, that's when we started. Yeah, when you when you guys when you guys started, right? Okay. And I just kind of like you know, yeah, oh, that's his thing. That's what he does. And I was still doing, you know, doing my thing. It's listen, you know as well as I do, Jimmy. If I'm a lot of things. Stooge ain't one of them. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> not not my place to you know to be telling other people's stories. I'll mm. allow you to tell your story, and I appreciate the fact that you have here today. There's no doubt about that. And we're gonna do you know more of these. I feel like this is one thing. Like I had a conversation. We did. A, I had a conversation with Conrad Thompson, mm-hmm. right? Another guy who his start his start was as a 15 year old kid as a call in for live audio wrestling. He would call into the show when the whole Montreal thing happened. Mm-hmm. Donnie and I went to a payphone to oh, call yeah. Conrad to get him to get the news out there on the internet. On, Isn't, that you know I mean? Isn't that At interesting? At the time, because there were, we didn't have cell phones. Yeah, There was none of that kind of stuff. So that's where Conrad started as well. You know what I mean? So like, there's a lot of parallels that I've had with so many people that have continued their path, but you know, parallels in our lives that you don't realize until you reconnect with them. Mm-hmm. Conrad was sure. one of them, yourself being one as well. And, and, you know, I hope that we can have a lot more conversations in the near future. I do want to pick your brain about business stuff because as I get back into this, I don't have all of the answers and I'm going to need some guidance from somebody who actually knows what the hell they're doing. And you've done a fantastic job with Fightful. There's no doubt about it. Well, I, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I always say it's a collaborative effort between Sean and I. So yeah. Sean was the one that kind of rolled up his sleeves, did the work, breaks the news. I was the guy behind the scenes. Like I, I came up with Fightful. I came up with Fightful Select, the stuff that's actually making the money. But yeah. Sean is the guy that's breaking the news and bringing in the eyeballs. And so it, it was kind of a collaborative effort. No, he's but, better uh, looking anyway. So if you're going to be the face of the company. And I'm, I'm no argument. No argument for me whatsoever. I'm, I'm, I'm the old, you know, guy sitting back in, uh, in, in Canada, but uh, no, you are someone that I've, I've always respected and always liked. And and you and I, I don't think we ever had a crossword. You and I were always cool. No. Even when you called me, even when you called me three days later after your last show, 
three that, days later. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you don't remember this, um, maybe I, I don't want to strike a nerve here. And no, like no, that. here, I want to hear it. But your Let's last go. show, your last show, I think was that Cambridge, Ontario, uh, show. Um, and there was a belt switch, uh, between one Larry destiny and one showtime, Eric young. Yeah, I don't and, remember. and we kind of, we kind of knew the, you know, the guys in the back kind of knew the writing was on the wall. And yeah. when the belt went out there and got switched, somebody had taken a Sharpie. Ah, uh, yes. I remember to the belt <laughs> <laughs> and drew a bunch of boobs and, and, and peni all over the belt. And it I was remember of, it was a couple of days later. It was a few days later and you had called me up and you were like, uh, you know anything about that? And I, yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> did you do it? Yes, I did. Why the F did you do that? And I was like, cause, cause I'm an asshole and the writing <laughs> was on the wall and you know, but I mean, I think that was probably the, that was the extent of any kind of cross conversation. We've always managed to just have a very adult conversation. I think that that's something that is missing a lot, uh, not just in the world of professional wrestling in the world of journalism or anything like that, but I think in society today, uh, just being able to sit down and have a conversation to figure stuff out. So, sure. I mean, more, more times than not in that situation, the person mad about the belt won't call the other person. Right. Right. If anything, maybe they'll hit them up on Twitter yeah. or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the world we're living in now. It's crazy. So. It's crazy to think that, that yourself, a young kid, popping in a videotape you know one day right was going to amount to all of this to the point where you've you've gone to the big city you've experienced all of these things and now it's time to move on to the next chapter jimmy i, mean, I for one and you know anything about toronto chris you know it's time to leave toronto when it's time to leave Toronto. i did I there did. Remember, I lived right in downtown Toronto, right at like, you know, Young and Wellesley area. Mm -hmm. um, and I I left. I first made that first move out to like that Markham area, mm -hmm. you know, a little north of Toronto. And then now I am completely outside of it. I am, you know, 45 minutes, an hour away from Toronto. I have a very nice home and a very nice yard and a a lot more quiet, a lot yep. more, you know, it's 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 fantastic. There's a certain time that big cities, if you're younger, you need to experience it. Yes. All of you young people out there, you absolutely have to experience it. You have to take in that nightlife. You have to, uh, you know, fulfill everything that you can inside of that big city. But you, just as much as anybody else, will know that as you get older, you need to have that peace and quiet. You need to have that uh, that that sanctuary, so to speak. And you don't really have that in the big city. So I agree. One of, one of my favorite wrestlers ever is Brock Lesnar. Yep. And I've seen Brock talk about, he lives in Saskatchewan, right? Yep. And, I, and I've seen Brock talk about, he's like, I have a compound. I have eight feet walls. I come and go. People leave me the hell alone. And I can relate so much yeah. to that because I just want to be left alone and just kind of do my thing. And, and uh, I, yeah, I, that, I totally get it. That's, yep. that's when you get older, like you said, when you're young, you want to experience it. And I was fortunate that I got to have some fun in my younger days. But uh, I don't want that now. I don't want to be, you know, going to the clubs or even like the wrestling conventions, you know, Sean be like, you know, do you want to go to, I forget the one Conrad does. He uh, like, the, do uh, Starcade. Starcade. Uh, yeah. He really yeah. do start. Yeah. Do you want to go to Starcade in Vegas? I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So have you ever been to the cauliflower alley club? Stuff? I have not that I would check out. I went to Starcast once, I think the first time. Yeah. 
uh, because I just wanted to check it out. And I actually ran into uh, Lauren, Angelina Love. Okay. I hadn't yeah. seen her in 20 years. Right. But uh, otherwise, no, I haven't uh, I haven't done any of this. Colorflower Alley might be cool to try once. All right. But I yeah. have it. You're from Vegas too, right? Absolutely. I remember. Abs- absolutely from there, born and bred. Uh, I have not yet been to an all of all uh, uh, a cauliflower alley club convention as of yet. It's on my list. It's just, you know, eh, much like yourself, you just get kind of busy and caught up with life stuff, right? Yeah, basically, basically. So, so yeah. I'll tell you what: if you decide to go next year, let me know. Sure. And we'll 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 lose our virginity together. <laughs> yeah, I uh, <laughs> I've been to Vegas once or twice, Chris. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm sure we could have a little bit of fun there. Well, yes. And that'll be definitely a show all on its own that Matter never fact, oversees the air. Funny story. So uh, I took Sean Ross up, like I said, to, to StarCast in Vegas. He'd never been to Vegas before. We went to a certain establishment. And what I didn't know at that certain establishment is that Disco Inferno was working the desk. <laughs> And I didn't know, and and it turns out Sean knew because he knew uh, Glenn uh, yep. Disco Inferno a bit. I, you know, I'd had a couple of pops, and I go up to the thing uh, to do whatever I was doing, and I'm glancing at this guy, and I'm thinking, I know this guy. Like, I just, how do I know this guy? I never said anything to him because I never in my, I never just would have thought Disco Inferno. Sean told me after he said, by the way, that dude that was Disco Inferno. I was like, that's how I know this guy. <laughs> Uh, well, you know what? You knowing him is probably his biggest claim to fame, right? Now. <laughs> he gets a lot of hate online, doesn't he? So much he? heat. I don't, I he don't, does. I mean, listen, maybe he thrives on it. It's like Mike Bucci during football season. Right. You know, he gets nothing but pure heat. Is online. that right? Oh, dude. He's, well, he's a Dallas fan. Uh, right. And you got guys like myself and Meanie that are diehard Philadelphia fans. So yeah. I was trying to think of Nova's real name. And there you go. As soon yeah. as you said it, it just popped into my head. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Jimmy, I want to thank you so much again. It's been an honor uh, to finally sit down and chat it up with you. Um, stick around, everybody. If everybody wants to see, I mean, obviously, you know, go ahead, do the plugs. Right. You know what? Fightful.com. I, I'm proud to say that we are now one of, if not the top, uh, place for breaking news in the world of pro wrestling. So go to Fightful.com. Uh, we have a uh, Fightful Select service where you can get, get all the breaking news before anybody else does. And uh, I'm still on Twitter. I don't call it X. I'm on Twitter at uh, JimmyVan74. And that's pretty much all I do for social media. Don't do Facebook very often. I'm, you're, I'm shocked I saw your post at all, to be honest. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Jimmy, it's been a blessing. It's been an honor. Uh, For those of you, this is the Law Live Audio Wrestling. We'll be right back to wrap all of this stuff up. Talk to some of our sponsors. Stick right there. We'll be right back after this. Disclaimer. Bovine Sex Club is not actually a sex club. Heading to Toronto? Check out any of these fine events coming to the Bovine Sex Club. December 7th, Ted Axe. December 15th, Sex Cat. And New Year's Eve with Hamilton legend B.A. Johnson. With burlesque performances by Aviva the Mirage, Ruby Magnitude, Fire Queen Tanya Cheeks, and Go-Go Dancer Paige Turner. Bovine Sex Club, Toronto's coolest rock and roll bar. Check out more by visiting bovinesexclub.com or fanatickets.com. 
Hey there, friends, listeners, and newcomers. This is Eric B., and I am the host of the Impactful Podcast. On the Impactful Podcast, we're going to break down everything Impact Wrestling each week. That includes everything that goes on in the background, everything that happens on TV, and everything that you're hearing on the news and social media. So please join me each week and live life impactfully. You're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. <laughs> You're a nasty, wasty skunk. <laughs> Your heart is full of unwashed uh-huh. socks. Your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch. The three words that best describe you. And we are back on the law, live audio wrestling, and Chris, oh my goodness, okay, for, so this is what I, I got a lot out of that, and one of the things that I got out of that is that you basically started everyone and built this platform for people to make millions of dollars on, sir. <laughs> I don't, I mean, listen, what they, what they have been able to accomplish uh, uh, certainly speaks volumes about the types of humans that they are. And the fact that I just ended up a broken, bloody mess speaks volumes about the type of human well, that I am. Well, no, hear, hear me out for a second. So Meltzer back in the day used to call into your show, The Law, this show. Sure, yeah. Right, the original The Law, live audio yep. wrestling. So he got his feet wet on radio there. Um, Conrad used to call in. Jimmy met you guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. You kind of laid the groundwork. You are the podfather, I think. I think you're well, the podfather of all podfathers. Well, listen, I was very fortunate to be surrounded by people that had an amazing vision that included me in their vision. That's really what it came down to. Jeff Merrick, George Strombolopoulos, Bob Makowitz Jr., and of course, Donnie Abreu uh, all had this vision and said, hey, we need a loudmouth piece of shit uh, to join the crew. (laughs) And there was nobody at the time who was any worse than me. So that's really what it boiled down to. And, and uh, you know what, I'm just very fortunate that, uh, and, 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 and grateful that all of the people that I've had a chance to connect with and reconnect with uh, over these years has been very gracious. And, you know, I'm happy that they have all been able to thrive on their own hard work. Well, the fact well, that we jo- know each other is nothing. All joking aside, Chris, it- what you've done just for since when I met you just from being in the business and pulling me in and saying, kid, you're riding with me now. And I rode with you until the, the basically the days that we both said, let's not do this anymore. Um, these guys, if anybody is under your wing, they're in good hands. And I'm not just saying that just because you're my buddy. I know so because I'm starting to see it even come in through other worlds outside of like it's all in the wrestling business, but it's outside of the business itself. It's not just in the ring. You're a great mentor. It seems like the knowledge that you put out even back in the day and you still continue to put out, uh, people are, they're better off from listening to you. So, brother, thank you very much for not only always having me as your co-host, but thank you very much for bringing me in on this journey. I just, I just want to give you your flowers, man. You sound like an idiot. Um, well, it's anyways. the holiday season after all uh, you know, I'm it, it really is it really I'm is and you know what listen I got an early gift I got an early gift and shout out to my uh, to our good friend and my partner 
in crime over at Crossbody Studios. Uh, ben Ortman's uh, Big Ben is angry uh, on all of his socials. Go look him up and please shout out to Crossbody Studios. Go look them up. I just seen him not too long ago earlier and he gave me uh, a Christmas present that literally brought a tear to my eye um, because he gave me a bottle. He gave me a bottle of writer's tears. Uh, and anybody knows, anybody knows that the bottle of writer's tears, that was the favorite drink of one Autobahn. And Amazing, at, the holiday, man. at the holiday season, when I can have a cheers to auto, shout out to you, young man. Uh, it's going to be a great holiday season, in my opinion. So to you, to everybody else out there, I wish you nothing but the best. Uh, to all of our sponsors, thank you so much. Uh, this is going to be a fantastic Christmas for everybody, I think, you know, and if you want to continue all of this, we are, we are putting these videos up uh, shortly after we put them out on Spotify. They are going up on YouTube for some of the video ones and as well as some of the audio ones. Where can I find that on YouTube there, sir? And I believe it is uh, at The Law Live Audio Wrestling. It is. All one word. Outside of that, you can follow all of my stuff over on TikTok. I mean, that's always good over on YouTube as well. well I hope to, you know, we'll be back next week. We're not. We're not good. It's, oh no! It's only this seven is just more Christmas. days. Yeah, this it's is only, just Christmas. We've ladies got and New gentlemen. Year's with Santino next week. That's unbelievable as well. We're going to finish off the year with the. You know, if it, it, listen, if you were to say to us, we need to have somebody on who is a party. Who is that party in professional wrestling? That's Santino. I'm just so stoked that I didn't play his entrance theme over and over <laughs> again during the episode because that is one of the top three entrance themes of all time. You can't change my mind. Chris, you got anything you want to say before we roll this ride out? Tuck your chin, ladies and gentlemen, and have a good Christmas. Listening to the law live audio wrestling with Chris Tidwell and Brady Weta. You can email any questions or comments to be read on air to the law.liveaudiowrestling at gmail.com.